going to scramble, now throw, end zone, touchdown, Metcalf. Marked him at the 11, Wilson sets up, end zone, and caught by Lockett for the touchdown. Myers has now made 22 straight, and it's a nine-point ball game at the half. Sets up first and goal. Here's Hyde for the touchdown. From back in L.A. Here's a flag. The flag in the end zone. This yeah, might be this, a safety. If this is a hold in the end zone, it's a safety. The pass is caught by Hopkins. Holding offense number 64. This penalty occurred in the end zone. The result is a safety. Without. Here's Murray sacked. And this ball game's going to end. Seattle Troy got its running game back with his balance. Welcome win. to another episode of the Pedestrian Podcast. This week we'll review Thursday Night Football and preview Monday Night Football. 11 days between two Seahawks games is possibly a blessing, but also a time in somewhat of a curse. And to do that, joining myself, Stuart Court, is, as ever, Mr. Adam Nathan. How are we, sir? Well, I'm good. I mean, a team that wear blue and white from a fairly dodgy um, you know, climate uh, that I support at uh, top of the division. And the Seahawks are doing well as well. So, uh, yeah, no, no, life's good. Life's good. And it's your birthday to, uh, tomorrow. It is my birthday tomorrow and Spurs are top of the league for it. So what could be better than that? That's a, that's a rare treat, isn't it, I guess? The rare you're... since 1960, I think would be. Uh, <laughs> I'm, not, I'm getting old, but I'm not quite that old. So, uh, yeah, no, it's uh, terrific times all around. Yeah, uh, so quite a few days ago, the Seahawks played the Arizona Cardinals on Thursday night football. And for the first time in the 2020 season, the Seahawks defense kept the team to under 320 total yards. It was something, especially on the defensive side, which we've been told by Pete Carroll for basically all season, which was coming. But I don't think after what the Cardinals had done for the, the two weeks, well, the three weeks in between the last time we saw them, we expected it to come on Thursday, but it was welcome and relatively impressive, Adam. Yeah, I mean, I certainly think a tactic going forward should be to attack the throwing shoulder of every quarterback that we play <laughs> from here on in, because that certainly seemed to have uh, a more than positive effect from the Seahawks. But but no, structurally, it looked much better. I think Matty, uh, our guest last week, mentioned that he, he thought that the defense would do much better. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, they, they managed to keep Kyler corralled much better. DeAndre Hopkins didn't have as much of a game, uh, which was quite a surprise. You know, the performance of Trey Flowers was certainly something worth celebrating. Um, and you have big players making big plays, uh, you know, in, in crucial moments. You know, the KJ Wright uh, stop on third down where uh, Murray stood him up and it was like the NFL up-down drill where you got the coach pointing left and they're on the tiptoes then pointing right. They've got to change direction. Uh, it was great. And um, it was what we expected to, and hoped to see all season. And finally, we've got it. Yeah, uh, Kyler Murray uh, completed more passes than Russell Wilson threw on Thursday night. 29 completions. Russell Wilson only threw the ball 28 times. They kind of, they, it was kind of more towards the Seahawks script that we've got to know, but it's that when it come down to it, the big plays come more often, more often than not from the Seahawks court. Yeah, it was much more of a recognizable game. Um, like if you're watching 
the Seahawks play from like a old school championship manager, 2D dots in the sky type of thing, you wouldn't necessarily rec- recognize the first six weeks of the season and say, well, those, those are Seattle Seahawks games. But the, on Thursday night, I felt like it was, you know, Wilson threw for 192 yards. Uh, we rushed for, you know, it's such a long time ago. I can barely even remember what the hell happened. I think he's threw for two touchdowns. We rushed for one touchdown. Uh, and yeah, there, were, there was two two field goals as well. So um, it was a much more recognizable script uh, and performance from, from the Seahawks. And ultimately, it's what Carroll is probably most comfortable doing. And rightly or wrongly, you know, if that's the way they're going to go and win games, then great. It just yeah. doesn't give you that much margin for error. No, I think I think Thursday was a, a definitely a kind of like reset for the offense. Obviously, it did help with Carlos Hyde was back after pretty much a month's absence uh, with a hamstring or somewhat muscle injury of some sort. Average fourteen times, fourteen times for seventy nine yards and a touchdown. Both Scarborough ran six times after being elevated from the practice squad for thirty one. It kind of it, everything just kind of looked like we expected to see when with a NFL player or an NFL vet really in Carlos side making all the difference in the run game, didn't they? Yeah. I think the running backs don't matter community. Um, there's certainly some validity to that and you don't need to pay $15 million to your running back. But, um, you know, listening to some Seattle radio the day after the game, Hugh Millen uh, on KGL was saying quite rightly that that was the difference between having an NFL running back who, you know, he could, his vision, you know, he could set up his blocks. He could see where the hole was. He could watch how the plays would develop. And it was a marked difference from something, you know, from like a, just a guy like an Alex Collins or a rookie like Homer and DJ Dallas who have got some explosivity to them. But the way in which Hyde ran was what you'd expect from an NFL running back as opposed to, you know, a potential guy coming into the league. Yeah, I think like we said to Matty... Last week, there's, that, there's a trusting, I think, when Russell Wilson's handing the ball off to Hyde or uh, Carson, I think it's a, just it's obviously and probably merited to be at a different level to when he turns around and hands the ball off to a fifth-round rookie or a sixth-round second-year player from a school which isn't known for their running backs since Frank Gore, really. But I think I think that did make a massive difference. Uh, Russell Wilson, 197, two touchdowns. We've been waiting for it, Adam. We've waited, what, 24, 26 games, seven, and his seventh uh, NFC West game of his NFL career against Patrick Peterson. DK Metcalf is ticks off another on his 2020 bucket list, didn't he? Because, I mean, some of the clips, the, the work and job DK Metcalf was doing on Patrick Peterson was, I mean, it's, 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 it's going to be on his highlight reel at the end of the season. He only had 46 yards and that, obviously, the first touchdown of the game. But his overall game was kind of what we what we kind of needed to see in a divisional game and against someone like PP as well, wasn't it? It was strange because he made two rookie mistakes that we expect to see last year. There was the touchdown to the left end zone that hit him in the face. Uh, there was a, uh, a quick pass off a slant, I think, that he ran uh, that, again, just went straight through his hands, which were the kind of things that we, we saw last year. Excuse me, I'm in a kitchen with an ice cream machine, believe it or not. Um, it was the kind of thing that you'd expect to see from his his rookie season. That that'll be off in a second. Don't worry. Um, in his rookie year, but then he had the the veteran almost moves on Patrick Peterson. The long pass that got called back for the hold. Um, the 
one when he completely put pizza on skates that completely did him um that we've come to see from the growth of a guy uh into one of the top probably 10 wide receivers in the league right now it wasn't just his produ- it wasn't just DK's production that stood out. It's obviously he ran to the defence of Tyler Lockett after he was rolled up on by Jacob Patrick. It's somewhat surprising to see Tyler Lockett get up from that. I think Pete Carroll was legitimately concerned as well. So that his whole demeanour and on field play is still matching up and he's starting to get noticed for more things than that outside of the Seahawks fan bubble, isn't he? Yeah. Um and in a way that kind of got us a uh really cheap third down conversion 15 (laughs) yards which was one of the turning points of the game both teams had a really stupid third down unnecessary roughness or you know unsportsmanlike conduct penalty um, that that cost them a touchdown in both both circumstances so uh, you know that made up for Quandre Diggs uh, daft hit on on uh, Nurk Hopkins yeah, uh, Tyler Lockett talking. Tyler Lockett nine catches on nine targets, sixty-seven yards, and a touchdown, which was perfectly thrown by Russell Wilson and put in the only spot in the corner of the end zone where Tyler Lockett could catch it. I mean, it's just it's. It, I mean, after three days of concern that he was was possibly not even going to suit up, nine for nine, sixty-seven, and a touchdown is somewhat again against the Cardinals an unheralded performance for Lockett again isn't it yeah he's almost entering the Baldwin zone if we expect to see it and so it becomes slightly less remarkable yeah. but um, there's not a lot teams can do about this Seahawk offense when you've got Metcalf playing like that Lockett playing like that and um, something out of the backfield that you have to respect as well so if they can stay healthy that, that's a fantastic blueprint uh, going forward yeah uh, once Sour notes and what uh, was Greg Olson uh, had two catches, 20 yards, and then tore his foot, which is an injury which sounds one of the more unpleasant ones you could probably suffer. And he's oh, he's gone on IR, and it does sound like he's going to be a long shot to come back this season. If he does, it's going it sounds like a postseason return for Greg Olson, which is you kind of hope he does come back because it does it does seem that this could be his last year in the league and to end on something so innocuous and in what the middle of November is is not the way that he or anyone really would want to see him leave the leave the playing field, is it, Adam? Yeah, and it's not only you know that. I mean, he he may not be playing like a seven million dollar tight end, but he's proven to be a pretty important safety blanket for Wilson on third downs. He he does move the chains, uh, and I would say at this point, Wilson probably has slightly more, you know, by ten or fifteen percent more trust in him than in uh, the other tight ends on the roster. So. Um, to that point, if yeah, it's it's going to be a loss unless, which I'm sure he will, um, you know, they can find a way to to make plays to that position without him. Yeah, I mean, the long term benefit for the team could be that they they're going to see their was it fourth round pick Corby Parkinson at least dressed on game day. Obviously, he's been on the active roster for about a month and he's been inactive for at least two of them, maybe three of them. So the long-term benefit of the team, they get to see and get some tread in the tires of another rookie in the 2020 class, which is, I mean, it's, it's encouraging how much playing time some of these guys have seen. Another rookie in the 2020 class who got a lot of plaudits on Thursday was Damian Lewis, who's been pretty good at right guard and stepped in the Kyle Fuller, Ethan Posich breach at centre. And apart from one borderline holding call when like, he basically just fell over but for some reason he got called for a hold he was pretty damn good and the drop off again Adam was minuscule at best 
Yeah, I mean, there were a couple of silly plays that are always going to happen. I think the first handoff of the, of the day was a bit of a uh, – wasn't yeah. the cleanest, and that led to a sack. I think I, I think I was watching the last second of Anthony Bourdain in Nashville uh, before the game started and uh, switched on, and there'd been a sack already when I turned on, uh, which didn't set me up in the greatest of moods. But, hey, they recovered <laughs> well. And, um, yeah, I think apart from one dodgy snap that ended up – being kicked forward for a three-yard gain on a fumble, <laughs> which I've never seen before. Um, he showed great versatility. I mean, he was unlucky that um, the one time he got absolutely pummeled uh, and really beaten and, and run all over, it was called back for a hold because Wilson had unleashed an absolute dime to DK Metcalf for about 50-yard completion against Patrick Peterson. So yeah. overall, if you got that performance every week out of your centre, you'd be pretty happy, I'd imagine. <laughs> Yeah, um, yeah. I think that's all on the offense. It's just going to be encouraging to obviously see what happens over the next month when the schedule all of a sudden is kind of is somewhat clearer than it was maybe a week ago. Defensively, though, we talked about how they penned in Kyler Murray, just two hundred and sixty-nine yards for for Kyler. But as you mentioned in your uh, run around at the start. Um, the biggest thing on that, apart from one catch, is how they really kept, and Trey Flowers, for the most part, kept Nook Hopkins after his Hale Murray heroics the week before to just five catches, 51 yards. And, I mean, it's legitimately half of what he did a month ago against the same the same defense, pretty much, in Arizona. I mean, it, there's not a lot more you can ask from... Uh, a derided cornerback like Trey Flowers going up against, for my money, the best receiver in the game, Adam. Yeah, I should have really left for it to be you to introduce your boy 100% of the way and not even give uh, give a nugget of what we might talk about going forward. Um, yeah, Flowers was great. Um, I thought DJ Reed, DJ Reed was good. I thought Ryan Neal had another good game uh, when he was featured. Um, Adams... I can't think of as it was probably his quietest game. I think the biggest play he made was when he got in the face of Kyler and forced the intentional grounding, which then turned into the safety, the safety in the hole, yeah. which RJ Collier caused. So I think that's the big. I mean, that's a pretty big impact. That kind of changed the, their plans at the end of the game on their last drive, didn't it? So yeah, you're right. That that was pretty crucial. Um, it was just a much more organised. Yeah, it just looked like an organized unit against a team that we were all nervous about because, you know, we're coming up against a team of extreme speed. I mean, obviously, there was the stupid breakdown in communication, which may have been Jamal Adams' fault for the Chase Edmonds yeah, touchdown, yeah. which, um, you know, was memeably stupid, you'd have to say. Yeah. Um, but they, they got out of it and um, on a game that really would have turned a lot of emotion one way or the other coming out of it with a loss, you know, they, they, they got the job done, which is the most important thing. And it was nice to see both sides of the ball having a positive impact on a win. Yeah. And uh, for an offense, which has made its money in some regards this year of getting the ball deep downfield, Kyler Murray's longest completion was just 25 yards. And that was to the tight end, Max Williams, 23 yards. And not Hopkins one was all yak, which is again, is another positive step, a positive sign for the defense, which I mean, keeping everything in front and underneath is kind of the MO for this defense, isn't it? And has been for however long Pete Carroll's been in town, Adam. Yeah, I mean, players like Quandre Diggs, you know, he, he pissed me off with that hit on yeah. Hopkins because it was unnecessary. Yeah. However, the flip side of that is he whacked Andy Isabella once, maybe twice. And 
if there is this kind of idea that you don't want to go into that area and throw a ball because someone's going to knock your block off, um, that may be worth the odd 15-yard penalty in order to kind of force people away for, from that area of the field. So, um, the, you know, we, we've lacked enforcers and proper muscle in the back end for a couple of years now. So it's quite nice to see a little bit of that returning uh, to, you know, not an LOB level by any stretch, but, you know, at least, uh, at least playing kind of a tribute act role as opposed to nothing there at all. Yeah, so the Seahawks win. They, for four days at least, move back to the top of the NFC West. And after Sunday night's games, we're the second seed in the NFL. But after the Rams win against Tom Brady's Tampa Bay Buccaneers last night, they are now behind the Rams on tiebreakers in the NFC West and the NFC's fifth seed. Um, and also this week, ahead of the Eagles game, it appears that they're going to be getting Ethan Posick, Shaquille Griffin, Chris Carson back and we could see an NFR debut for second round pick in, uh, earlier this year in uh, from Daryl Taylor and also Adam it seems that Rashad Penny is right on the heels of uh, Daryl Taylor as well which is uh, I think could be a massive it could be a massive X factor for this team running down the stretch and it's possibly a bonus because I mean I saw no way that we were going to see Rashad Penny this year so any snaps and yards we get out of him in 2020 is a Brucey bonus isn't it for the Rams winner no longer top of the division which is most frustrating yeah. um, is not working I don't know he keeps freezing every time I ask the question it freezes <laughs> right Rashad Penny is a Brucey bonus yeah and um, again it's one of those things that We've been playing for a couple of weeks without any of our three main line running backs. And so the more of those guys you can get in there, even if you get 100 yards out of Penny for the rest of the season off 10, still keep a proper running back there, then that, that'll be great. And um, going into the playoffs, it could be a huge difference from the situation we ended up in last year when uh, the boys in 2014 got the call in Turbin and Lynch to, to come and, and fill the gaps, which, you know, much as we love them, is not really what you want to be seeing going into uh, into the dance. No, not at all. Anyone else to pay praise, pay praise to on... Uh, well, in, in tribute to Kieran Byrne, who had a real go at me for so he spat his tea out when I said that kickers aren't real people on the podcast last <laughs> week, I think it's worth saying that Myers and Dixon are both having tremendous seasons uh, and really helping out. And uh, on the other side, not used to seeing someone like DJ Reed have the explosivity uh, mm. on the runbacks. I think he, he's been a really worthy addition to the team so far. Um, and look, let's let's give Ken Norton uh, a bit of bit of praise, a bit of credit. Uh, you know, he's been taking all the flack for the defence being bad. So let's give him uh, some props for for them doing well. Did did you spot anyone else that's worthy of uh, not of praise? Especially, I mean, obviously the game ceiling play from Carlos Dunlap. Oh, of course, a lot of headlines, and I think he's looked. He just, I mean, it's what his third game. He's second, well, not even full week because of Thursday. So we're yet to really see him get a full workloading and he's I mean he's already worth the price as Bengals fans ruin the fact that even though they got a reliable lineman in BJ Finney in the deal the fact that it was just a seventh round pick is is, is looking like a somewhat cheap 
for the Seahawks to add again. And this is John Schneider and the pro scout. I mean, there's a lot of question marks over how they scout college players, as we talked about last week with Matty, but their pro scouting is absolutely on point, it appears, yet again, not just finding the players that fit, but finding the value and figuring out the right value for those players. It's, I mean, yeah, that's it's just fun watching someone that long, quick, and all that. It's just, it's just kind of fun watching one of those players at one of the ends again, isn't it, Adam? Yeah, it's, it's great watching real players in their position do well instead of, uh, unfortunately, you know, pretenders. Uh, and yeah. you know, we've been going about this pass rush with some guys that you know might give you one play every couple of weeks that you think, wow, that, that looks great. But ultimately, you know, having top players like Dunlap in there could be the difference between, you know winning games in the playoffs and, and maybe not making them at all which was looking like a distinct possibility you know after the game against the Rams yeah uh, moving ahead and it is a, an 11 day or oh, one more thing on last week the Seahawks had 28-21 and I think Danny Kelly points out appears to be a normal Seahawks game but they had the rare 5 point fourth quarter Adam which is very Seahawky way of getting to 28 points yeah, you'd like there to be kind of a Skorogami show you're working thing. <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, it has ever and it hasn't ever got to 28 uh, with a safety, a field. Yeah, I'm sure they have. A safety, a field goal, mix, miss extra point. Yeah, it's just very silly. Okay, moving ahead though, Monday Night Football against the NFC East leading. What's it? What are they? Three and one, Philadelphia Eagles. Wilson. Deep downfield, getting free and open and making the grab. This Metcalf in for the touchdown. Goes down, gets up, and takes it into the end zone. This great cover zero. Here come the Eagles. And Wilson's going to go deep downfield, and you've got an open man in Metcalf to the 50-yard line. And that, in all likelihood, will write a finish to this one. So yeah, the Seahawks fly across country on a 10-day, 11-day break and face Carson Wentz and the Eagles. Well, it's Carson Wentz at the minute, Adam. Yeah, I have to say I'm quite surprised that it is Carson Wentz uh, after the pick six to uh, the Browns player with the most brilliant name. It was like Tiki Taka. That's the one. Um, we'll probably you know need to correct that in yeah, probably. formal for, yeah. formal post production or something. But um, I said to a couple of people, well, that's the end of Carson Wentz, and I just assumed that we'd see Jalen Hurts for the rest of the game uh, and maybe the rest of the season. Um, Doug Peterson has said that you know that's a way that it makes you tell your team that you're throwing throwing the towel in for the rest of the season, which is probably not what Jalen Hurts wants to hear. I thought it was quite a strange comment uh, from someone that's normally very erudite. But yeah, I mean, he's such, he's fallen into the trap where he is refusing to just take a bogey on a play. And whilst that used to give him birdies and pars, he's now in triple bogey territory so regularly that um, I long may that continue for Monday night because he's, uh, he's been a, a turnover machine and I wouldn't be tolerating it anymore if I was a fan of that team. I, I'd, I'd want to see what I've got in return. Um, but you do know that if the chips all fall right, he, he is capable of putting something together across 60 minutes to hurt us. So it's going to be an interesting game. Uh, and I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing how it manifests itself. 
Yeah, the Eagles have turned the ball over on offense 20 times this um, season so far. Only one game where they haven't turned it over at all, and that was uh, two weeks ago in the, against the Giants, and they still lost the ball. There's been one, two, three, four games where they've turned the ball over at least three times. I mean, yeah, he's just throwing the ball up there and hoping. I mean, Carson Wentz is very Jordan Spieth in that four or five years ago, he looked like he was going to set the world alight and be the best player in the world challenged the greats of all time and now he's struggling to as you say using the the Bergen analogy he's kind of just struggling to stay afloat and make cuts and make roster cuts probably next summer Adam yeah I mean there's there's uh it was a list a while ago of you know all the, the talent in inverted commas that Carson Wentz had had to throw to but conversely you could say well you know Carson Wentz has not done anything to elevate those guys as players um so I think you know he it's not a division that you get to see an awful lot of as a Seahawk fan. I mean, obviously there's quite a lot of primetime games, but I can't say that I've studied Carson Wentz to the point where I can say he's definitely finished. But, you know, you watch enough red zone and full games when they're on to suggest that something's just not right with the guy. Right. Um, and whether it's, you know, whether it's a confidence thing or whether you're seeing ghosts or, or he's just trying to trying too hard to force it, I'm always, I'm always looking forward to seeing him play 60 minutes next Monday just to kind of see try and diagnose for myself what some of the issues are. Yeah. Uh, conversely, though, on their offense, they are pretty good at running the ball. They've run the ball for at least 90 yards in nine of their 10 games and done it in every week uh, outside of their week one loss against Washington. Miles Sanders, Boston Scott, Corey Clement, a uh, pretty diverse bunch. It's probably going to be Miles Sanders who's going to get the chunk of the play. And he's, he's, he's a player who's shown this year that he can break the long 60, 70 yarder as well, which is always something with this defense is well tuned. It's a, a pace, it seems this year to stop, but he's going to be the danger guy if he gets the ball and gets to that, through that first level, isn't he? Yeah, you're almost glad to go into another sporting analogy of something like tennis, where you almost just want to get the ball back over the net every time on defense, and eventually they'll whack, whack one out into the tram lines or into the <laughs> net uh, or long. Like they're, they're just a team that are so prone to making mistakes that if we just stay disciplined, you can't imagine them not giving us two or three opportunities to win the game defensively. Um, so I'm hoping there's the kind of game where you know, just don't give up the 70-yard plays, which is obviously easier said than done. But you know, just keep things in front of you and play normally. Uh, and eventually they'll, they'll give you the ball. Yeah, uh, the Seahawks have won the last five games against the Eagles. Obviously, they beat them twice a year ago in the regular season. And DK Metcalf, one of DK Metcalf's first breakout games in the playoffs, obviously, his big catch, his leaping catch on fourth down sealed the game defensively for the Eagles. They've got Brandon Graham. They've got, again, a lot of injuries. And it's, this is a defense which doesn't have really... I mean, Darius Slay is uh, now an Eagle after his trade... Uh, part of the offseason from Detroit but outside of that Adam it's not hasn't got that star power which we've seen over the last couple of weeks in Buffalo the Rams and uh, the Cardinals no and it's funny because they're a team that often at the start of the year they uh, they win the Super Bowl on paper with a lot of people quite regularly um, if is Fletcher Cox healthy I know he's had some injury problems is he going to play not on their injury report oh so maybe it was earlier in the year he, he was injured um, I mean he obviously is always you know yeah, I mean, they're a team that aren't necessarily performing to some of their parts at the moment. And 
I think, I mean, I think they can still win their division if they get it together. I think if, if every team in the NFC East gets it together, it'd be my pick to win the division. But um, <laughs> there's obviously a reason why that hasn't happened. Yeah. Um, because it's been long enough and they, they, they've been shit. Yep. Pretty much. Uh, so, I mean, it's just a case of the Seahawks really on Monday have got to stay out their own way as they did on Thursday. And it's the opponent they did it against on Thursday is a a better team than the one they're facing on Monday. Is that a fair summary of the situation on Monday night? Yeah, I mean, I think every time we had to punt on Thursday against Kyler Murray, uh, I was disappointed because I thought, shit, like we might need those points. Whereas this is one of the few games where, you know, Pete Carroll's territory battle is probably not one of those things that you're going to be too gutted uh, if you end up in a, in a game of that because eventually you, you think you probably win it. So, yeah. um I don't want the team to play conservative. I don't want them to play like they did in the first game in Philadelphia last year, which was a, you know, really a real tough watch. Um, But it, it, it does, it feels like a game to me that just, you know, do the basics, get the basics right. And really they should come out on top. I agree. I mean, this defense doesn't, doesn't appear to give up massive passing days, but teams just, just seem to obviously, because they have leads more often than not just run the ball down their throats. Uh, But yeah, like really does feel like a trap game. Because obviously everyone, all the Seahawks fans are starting to look, particularly after the Rams win last night at the next four games of being three NFC East teams and the Jets. And this kind of feels like, okay, we'll get past this one first and then we can kind of like look ahead to 16, 17 because I mean going to Philadelphia is got it's got all the trappings of a trap I am pretty confident that we'll see what's going to win and I think they could win relatively hand, handily I think Thursday was a big mentality shift a mentality switch for not just some some people in the fan base but some of the players as well it's felt like watching the game I think it carries over to Monday night and I'm going to go for a 12 point Seahawks win on Monday Adam funny I was just thinking 34-21 Seattle is, is my prediction for the game um, and yeah and I think it's much more of a trap game if you have a game on a Sunday and then you play them on the Thursday night football I think with the 11 day break with players coming back and we're starting to get some nice competition for positions um, in there so you'd hope that you know if Taylor plays you, you might get five or six good snaps out of him because he wants to assert his position in the team if Chris Carson plays you know he's seen Carlos Hyde have a good performance does he want to show up um, and you know assert the fact that he is the number one running back on this team and you know he's playing for a contract so I'd, I'd like to think that the, the team will come out pretty motivated to uh, to get the job done and I even think it'll probably be 31 14 uh, and there'll be like a garbage sign touchdown uh, yeah. for like I don't even know any of the receivers at the moment um, <laughs> Travis yeah. Fulgham, hopefully, is in my dynasty team. So There you go, exactly. A wild take for Monday night. Adam, I think we're going to see Jalen Hurts on Monday night. Oh, I was going to say DJ Reed's going to run a kickoff back for a touchdown. But for Seahawks one, I think I'll go a Jamal or Quandre pick six. Nice. But I, I, really, I really don't. I don't. I think we're going to see as much Jalen as we saw Nick Mullins on Monday night. Oh, okay. Interesting. I know who I want to give I want to give a shout out to. Okay. I think Nick Ballore is my new favorite ever special teamer. <laughs> he is just a heat-seeking missile. He is a missile and there were two just whacks against the Cardinals and I yeah, I'm, I'm falling for him. He's uh, he's he's becoming jerseyable in my opinion. <laughs> okay, a fullback special teamer is becoming jerseyable. Just watch out on the first Dixon punt for 44 yeah. to come through like an 
absolute Japanese bullet train and spank someone uh, into their next Philly cheesesteak. <laughs> also, uh, what, there is one more thing. There, there are people who point out that every time we give up a sack on the first offensive drive this season, we win the game. So maybe the first play of the game, we're supposed to just take the ball and lie down. Do it again. It's clearly working. Uh, a quick spin in my bin. Let's do it. Dabo Swinney can get in the bin. Arguably the best college coach who's coaching college football, but also probably the worst, Adam. He, he said that Florida State uh, cancelling their game against Clemson this weekend because of COVID outbreak on the FSU campus, obviously in the team is an excuse and they're just using it to dodge the Clemson Tigers. This is the Clemson Tigers team whose quarterback missed their game and then stood on the sideline for three and a half hours a couple of weeks ago. He's he's it's just like the seventeenth example of Dabo Swinney just being a complete bore and probably why Dabo Swinney is probably gonna be in college football forever and ever and ever. Yeah, it wasn't a particularly good look. And um I, I think the problem when you end up getting people that are in sports to talk about things that are sport related but not actually to do with the sport intrinsically uh they end up getting quite flustered and apportioning sporting parlance to it far too often uh and the idea that yeah you you would these seems a ducking as opposed to you know just adhering to a global pandemic uh (laughs) is a little bit frustrating but um Perhaps, yeah, that's what we come to expect from uh, Mr. Usman Dabo Sweeney. Yeah, uh, Sweeney in the past has said, I don't think it's good to be a distraction to your team, to use the team as the platform. I totally disagree with that and about kneeling for the National Anthem. I just think it creates more divisiveness and more division. He's also said it's so easy to say we have a race problem in the US, but we have we actually have a sin problem. And as far as paying players, professionalizing college athletics, that's where you lose me. I'll go do something else because there's enough entitlement in this world as it is. And he is, I think, the third highest paid coach in college football behind Nick Saban. And I can't think of another one. I'd imagine Harbaugh's pretty highly paid. He's almost certainly the highest paid public sector worker in the state in which he works. Clemson is... South Carolina. Yeah, he must be, because Miss Champ's been fired. Yeah, probably is. Um, anyone for you? He's just a worst. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. <laughs> and uh, I think we're bordering on timeshare status now for <laughs> Dr. David Chow, who uh, calls himself the pro football doctor on social media. He's got a fairly checkered past yep. with some treatments that he's given out in the San Diego Chargers days. But uh, he goes in the bin for me this week because underneath so what he does for those who don't know him is he likes to diagnose uh injuries by video that he watches on a sunday and he's got a website that people subscribe to to find out about injuries um and what he did uh, for joe burrow this week was joe burrow tweeted out on sunday after that awful injury and that, by the way the bengals can go in the bin for buying uh, a maserati and leaving it on the street uh, to rot overnight and not putting it in a garage i mean to get a number one overall draft pick and not protect them at all with that offensive line unfortunately this injury was bound to happen but back to my uh, number one candidate of mr chow his uh, his response was get well soon joey for frame by frame footage of the injury and diagnosis please visit profootballdoc.com so this is on the response tweet to burrow's injury he's trying to flog his pathetic doctor's version of OnlyFans um subscription service and yeah i mean there's clickbait and then there's that and 
he's been barbecued for it in the replies. So yeah. I do uh, recommend anyone on the socials to go and dig that up because uh, it's quite a funny one. Yeah, I mean, Chow has a lot of, um, yeah, just a quick Google of his name. And yeah, he also writes for Out. Puts all this stuff on Outkick, the coverage, which is Clay Travis, which is yeah. another uh, um, blemish on his record as well. But yeah, it's just like the Joe Burrow thing is just kind of, it's like people who are still chatting nonsense about Malik McDowell three, four years later. And it's like, it's sad that Malik McDowell never got to play in far down because of errors in judgment. I mean, it's, I mean, Joe Burrow being Joe Burrow that he was two weeks ago when you next see him is it appears it could be a bit of a long shot because that sounds like it's a nasty nasty injury and probably one that was nastier than Mr Chow um, probably even could confirm himself it's just it's just rough yeah, it's I mean, just, it's like, it's in just a rough. in a sadistic way like when he went down the, you know, the recoveries from just ACLs now are, are almost seamless and they can be done quite easily uh, and there was part of me that thought do you know what he is getting whacked 10-15 times a game if it's just in inverted commas a knee injury then you know it may be you know just get him out of there and he doesn't get smacked in the head another hundred times this season but unfortunately uh Cincinnati don't seem to get that lucky and it does appear to be a major reconstruction he's to go on there and uh he's a good player and he's fun to watch he seems like a nice guy and like a proper dude like Namath-esque in his uh in his mentality and so uh yeah we wish him all the best and uh, the UK Bengals community are great and they've been great to us on, on the podcast so uh, yeah we, we wish all them all the best yeah it's a fan base that needed a bit of fun and it was ha- it had it for 10 weeks now it's going to have to watch Ryan Lindley for 6-7 weeks and then hope that their QB comes back next year one more thing on which could be Ben I'm surprised that you didn't put it in Your one of your pals uh, got a bit of a roasting on Sunday night after his reaction to the shot of uh, Aaron Rodgers and Philip Rivers uh, yucking it up after the mm. Overtime, overtime Colts win uh, we are on two sides of the fence on this one I don't have a problem with it I think more often than not Aaron Rodgers comes across as a smarm quite like not introverted but the only opinion the only person that matters Aaron Rodgers so it's quite refreshing and quite nice to see two players have been in the league for a similar amount of time haven't played each other kind of just having a chat which I mean it it could be the last it probably will be the last time those two teams play each other and like I said to you on Sunday night I mean I would probably start laughing if I spoke to Philip Rivers as well Adam <laughs> yeah I mean I don't necessarily have uh, an enormous problem with it but in general in all sports like I can do without the shirt swapping on the pitch I can certainly do without the when Wilson and Wilson does it all the time when we lose he'll swap jerseys yeah. with someone and have his pictures and do the signings and yeah like I, I'm you do what you want to do you're professional athletes or whatever but there's you know sometimes if after a defeat you're pretty hot I don't really want to see my quarterback kind of on the field laughing and joking around with other players but in reality we probably all need to be more mature and accept that's going to happen because yeah. it's, only, it's only sports and it's only uh, our own and my own stupidity that kind of <laughs> makes me feel like I want them to feel like they're in battle and war and they hate the opposition but <laughs> We all know that's not the truth, but uh, just 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 let me uh, keep the mystique going in my own mind a little bit longer. And then obviously we saw that off of Rogers on Sunday. Then we saw Tom Brady leave Jared Goff. I love it hanging uh, on the field. I mean, it, it was quite it was quite enjoyable watching Jared Goff get even looking lost after the game is finished. Yeah, and yeah, you know, I think Shannon Sharp called out Brady for saying. Uh, 
oh, you know, he, he, he's always the first to find the quarterback when he wins and then is in the locker room when he loses. I love it. He's got yeah. six rings. Exactly. The man, who, the man who wins a lot doesn't like losing. What a surprise. Exactly. Yeah, I mean, what an enormous surprise. <laughs> Everything. Deshaun Watson. Every week you just watch Deshaun Watson because you poor fucker. Well, I mean, he's a less poor fucker by finances because he signed a $160 million yes. deal. But there's, I just don't understand why he signed it. <laughs> I'm serious. I mean, I, I, he, for a guy with that much leverage, you know, maybe he loves the city of Houston. Maybe he feels that, you know, really wants to stay there. But if I was him, I'd have wanted to get out. Yeah. Yeah. The, the oops, I mean, that's a long way away from being anything close competitive, but Deshaun Watson is going to keep them in a lot more games. And I mean, that first half on Sunday was pretty flawless from uh, Deshaun. Yeah, I mean, Taysom Hill was, uh, it was interesting oh, to see him. So annoying though. I know, he's a bit tiresome, but I'm interested to see what week two and week three for him has and whether, you know, after a bit of tape uh, yeah, on because, film, yeah. uh, let's see uh, if he can be corralled by a real team as opposed to the Falcons as well, which will also help. <laughs> also, look, I think uh, Amina Kimes tweeted on Friday that the Falcons defensive coordinator is going to be hella busy on Friday because that's when they announced that Taysom Hill was going to be the starter. So maybe that kind of laid it. Also, Sean Payton is quite good at call, offensive play calling and they didn't really put him in situations where he had to step back and pass. I mean, his touchdown was because he just ran out of the pocket on the first sign of a rush as well. Just It's just boring. It's like, ugh. Yeah, but they paid him and he won. And it was annoying because it, we needed the Falcons to at least do one thing right. But also it came three hours after Arthur Blank said they were going to give the, the look and it probably given the job to Ray Morris. And then the defense does that. Um yeah, well. <laughs> a short one after what we, we could have been a two-hour one last week, which is maybe a relief to uh, people who are listening. So if you want to get in touch with the podcast, you can all your usual means and methods. Uh, UK Seattle Seahawks fans on Facebook, at Seahawks UK on Twitter. And we will be back next week to help preview, to look ahead to the New York Giants uh, coming to Seattle and also the Giants and Jets games are not going to have fans in as the COVID cases continue to rise and rise in Washington State Adam it's at this point 2020 is a write-off for fans in well no not CenturyLink Lumen Field yes down at the Lou um, <laughs> yeah so uh, that's a bit of a shame for fans although I'm not you know with the Premier League announcing that Spurs could have 4,000 fans in a 60,000 seat stadium I think I'd probably rather stay on the couch than uh, go there and not be able to drink and not shout and not sing and not cheer and not abuse referees I mean if you can't do that what are you really in the game for um, so yes yeah. exactly exactly so uh Keep the loo nice and flushed until next year, perhaps. Uh, all our American listeners, I'm sure there's like three or four, a happy Thanksgiving, Indeed. which is later this week. Enjoy uh, your socially distant COVID-affected festivities. But yeah, until next time, this has been the Pedestrian Podcast. And happy birthday, Mr. Nathan. Thank you very much. And go Hawks. You know, as a defensive line, we think the sky's the limit. We just continue to get guys back healthy and get in rhythm. And, you know, uh, when the offense gives us opportunity and the coverage is that good, you know, they shut down um, hop all game. So, you know, they gave us the opportunity to keep him running around. You know, I like my odds. I'll chase after a squirrel all day. <laughs>